Hello, and welcome to the Wild Blue Podcast, perspectives on aviation lives, lifestyles, and business. Hi, this is Chris Kirk at Wild Blue Aircraft Sales, and you are listening to the Wild Blue Podcast, where we focus on aviation lives, lifestyles, and business. And you know, each week we sometimes banter back and forth within the office. Hopefully you find it both entertaining uh, and or you learn something. Uh, and then oftentimes we uh, have the pleasure of interviewing uh, others within aviation. Some are clients, some are just folks that we found a uh, deep interest in and, and want to share that with you. And I think we kind of hit all of those boxes with this week's interview. In fact, we're going to cut this into two parts. Uh, so it will be uh, uh, this month and then next month as well. And uh, this uh, this podcast is with Frank Weiser. This interview is with Frank Weiser. Now, Frank is a uh, recently retired Navy pilot, and he flew two tours with the Blue Angels. And so he has got a tremendous amount of uh, uh advice, but uh, just a a lot of fun stories to share with us. You know, Frank's a great guy. Several years ago, uh, I called upon him to set my son with his Civil Air Patrol unit up for a kind of an in-person greeting or meet and greet with the the Blues when they were in town. And he just uh, was just so gracious in facilitating that and so Frank is also a customer of ours. Frank uh, bought a uh, 58 Baron from us. And he's, he's just got some interesting things. This is not an interview you're going to want to, to miss. Todd and I did this uh, uh, earlier in the summer and, uh, and finally getting it posted for your enjoyment. And again, it's a two-part interview. So uh, enjoy Todd Mitten and, uh, and my interview with Frank Weiser. No, I was I was going to ask you. So you uh, you did not you didn't learn how to fly before you went to the Navy. You you didn't have any civilian experience. No, I did not. I learned in a T thirty four C, and I was, in my estimation, an incredibly bad student pilot. And the Navy rewards you on how fast you learn rather than how good you are at the end. So um, I struggled with something as simple as taxiing, and then failed my first check ride in the T thirty four for safer solo. So I don't feel like I was a, a fast learner, but at some point I was able to light a fire and figure it out. Yeah. So at what point did you start getting interested in general aviation? Because you're an airplane owner. Yeah, actually, it's funny. So I finished my um, flight school in Meridian, Mississippi in 2002 and then stayed around. The Air Force does it more prevalently than the Navy does. We have something called a surgrad, a selectively retained graduate. It's a little similar to a, a fake in the Air Force. We'll generally grab one guy a year. And I don't know really the purpose of why they do it, aside from the fact that I said I'd want to fly single seat jets out of um, Oceana, and they said, okay, well, we'd like you to stay here for a year and a half and be an instructor, which I did. And the nice part about doing it was it was in the T-45 Charlie, which was at the time brand new. We were still accepting them new at the time. And it had it could go to 41,000 feet and it had decent legs and it could shoot ILS approaches. And it was just a really great little airplane to fly. And so I was an instructor in that for a year and a half. And, and it allowed me some time to go to the local airport and get checked out first in a 152 and then, you know, go get a tail dragger endorsement in the Cub and do a little more flying. And then what I found is on the weekends, I'd take students on cross countries for their radio instrument flights or their airway navigation flights. But I'd have Saturday off because we'd fly in on Friday and leave Sunday. And I'd generally go to the local airport wherever I landed and just go flying, rent a Cessna for an hour or something and take friends or take family flying. So I kind of took to it in that regard. And then um, 
about the point when I was getting ready to transition out of the military, I thought, well, I've got this skill set. I don't want to see it go to waste. So I thought it'd be fun to at least buy a family airplane, which is how, of course, you and I met as I was looking at what airplanes were appropriate. I'd settled on a Baron for a variety of reasons, one for the redundancy of the second uh, motor, but then also for the, enough space for our family. My wife and children aren't great at packing, so we generally have way too much stuff, and the Baron seems to do a nice job with Max Gross and and performing. And, and I had also bought property in an air park in Northeast Georgia called Heaven's Island. So it, we had a hangar and a, and a lot to build a house on. And so I just thought it was a cool way to transition some of my, my aviation experience to civilian and then continue to use it, whether it's for work to get around or whether it's you know, for the family, the vacation, that sort of thing. So um, that brought me to you. And of course, you know, uh, was able to, I believe you brokered the sale of the, of the Baron that we bought a few years ago. And oddly enough, as we you know, put it through annual and made a lot of changes to it and, and, and modifications and fixes, uh, I took possession of that the same day my last Blue Angel Air Show happened. And that was just total luck, but I landed in Pensacola on a Saturday in early November 2017, 3.30 or 4 o'clock, and the Baron landed at our local airport at about 15 minutes later. Oh, wow. So I thought that what was really, really cool. It was like the end of one chapter, starting a new chapter. And I was I was there at that air show, you know. That was also oh, my that's last. Right. That was my last military cross country, and and when we flew home the next day. But that was it. Uh, I should have so, taken you home with the Baron. Yeah. <laughs> Although I couldn't fly the thing to save my life, I I found a CFI at the local airport who who had some Baron time. And although I was qualified to fly it, I eventually went to flight safety to learn some stuff in it. But uh, we go flying for a few hours, and at one point I I said to him, "Listen, I." Yeah, I want some feedback. Tell me the stuff I'm doing wrong in this thing. And if it's not standard, I, I, I'm just I'm not deliberately doing it wrong. I don't know better. And he said, well, uh, for, for starters, you don't need to tell the control tower that you're a single baron at five miles. They, they know you're alone. They, they know you're by yourself. And I've just been so used to it. 20 years in the Hornet, I've, you know, flight of two or flight of four, or worst case, a single Hornet eight miles out for the overhead. And I was, apparently I was telling tower that I'm a single baron five miles out for the straight end. But yeah, good to know. I haven't I haven't made that mistake since. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. You, it, I remember hearing that at, at local airports, you know, and you'd hear the, uh, especially when I, Air Force guys where I was, you know, in, in the pattern and they'd call gear down. I'm like, hey, man, you, you don't necessarily need to do that anymore. <laughs> yeah, I had a close friend on uh, one of his first Gulfstream flights. He's a 550 captain and he, he was um, preparing for a visual approach. He said a beam gear touch and go. And the guy in the right seat is like, Hey, bud, we're not doing touching over Gulf Stream. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So you you said this, so I want to I want to bring this up. So if you're listening to the podcast, uh, we also do a video of the podcast. The video is posted on YouTube, uh, and Frank mentioned um, Heaven's Landing. So uh, he's got his uh, he's sitting in in his. Uh, you're in the hangar in your home right now. I'm in the hangar right now. I'm gonna see if I can change the lighting. Right? Yeah. Yep, and then out the back is so, the way there. I mean, what a view. Um, it's really something to go, go take a look at that. You can see, uh, you know, I'm just sitting here drooling over the windows and not much less the runway that's out there, uh, in the background, but, um, so how, how, and how did you get involved with heaven's landing? Well, so, you know, I found it in a, in an internet search, I found it, um, looking at an airport North of us called mountain air, which is a fairly well-known it's, it's a country club golf course, but it's a 3000 foot or even smaller runway on a 5,000 foot tall mountain. And um, in searching that area, I found that this little town in Northeast Georgia had a 5,000 foot runway at about 2,700 feet. And uh, that's, it's an area I knew well, having grown up in Atlanta and I had come back back here as a kid and as a Boy Scout. So I, it blew me away. I flew back from um, Germany almost right away to check it out and fell in love with the place. I, I still to this day, have not seen its equal in terms of 
um, mountain air parks where you literally can live with your airplane and be amongst you know a neighborhood of other we have almost 180 lots and and probably 120 owners all of them are pilots everyone loves aviation we have a flying happy hour every friday afternoon um, it's just a really unique spot and um, i like i said i fell in love with it and it's it's an airport with a long enough runway that you can come and go almost anytime you want. We'll have some low mountain obscuration fogs certain mornings, but generally speaking, it's a 24 seven airport with the GPS approach and RNAV into it. Um, and it, it's, it's super, it's 20 minute flight down to Atlanta. I can get to and from Pensacola in an hour and a half. We're, we're out to the beach at Charleston and Myrtle beach in an hour from here. And that's barren time. Oh, by the way, I mean, I can be in the Bahamas in two hours in a barren. Yeah, that's sweet. That's yeah. Sweet. It's a really cool spot. So I had, um, we had, built out a hangar we built kind of an office and a living area inside of our hangar that's where i'm sitting now and then we built our home a year after that and i was still finishing up my time with the blue angels and we had a, essentially a change of management up here and the gentleman who owned the neighborhood asked my wife and i who, my wife's a real estate broker and i've done commercial development asked if we could take over for a time being and and, and run the place and it it's been an interesting mix of requirements you can't um, not unlike a normal neighborhood, you can't just turn over to an HOA organization because I'm taking calls from Atlanta Center on a regular basis. The, we had a runway repair required on Sunday night. The runway buckled this past Sunday, and we had just uh, an onslaught of people returning from Oshkosh. You know, our whole neighborhood goes up to Oshkosh just about, sure. and there, and you know, about midpoint of the runway, there was a 15-inch buckle, and so it becomes an immediate, you know, notification to all the owners and a quick fix the next day with the concrete trucks out here repouring the runway and that sort of thing. So it's, um, it's a unique job for us to, to manage both the neighborhood and a runway. And, and we have a clubhouse and a pool and 600 acres of land. So um, it's kind of a labor of love because it is a really cool spot. And, you know, you, there's no one who's new to the place. Everyone loves airplanes. We all have that in common. So conversations are easy and enjoyable. And everyone who flies generally has kind of a, you don't find many boring people in aviation. So everyone has a exciting personality and is, is, um fun to talk about their adventures. So it, it makes for fun hangar crawls from one to the next. Yeah. Now, Chris, it's inappropriate to bring up Navy landings in the runway. Yeah. So let's not even <laughs> talk about that right now. <laughs> I had my share of really crummy runway landings. I had that one landing for sure. Well, I will I, say I from F-18 where if I wanted to land fast, I could just push the nose down, dissipate all the energy into my landing gear. I mean, we would try to land at 720 feet per minute. But if I felt like landing harder, I certainly could. Wow. And I tried that once in the uh, in the Baron to stop faster, and I had a negative effect. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They they can have a negative effect on the wallet too. <laughs> yep, no doubt. <laughs> well, I, I will say that as a uh, as a former Air Park uh, resident, if you ever move out of there, you'll have severe withdrawals. Oh. It was horrible. We, for two years, all I could think of is like, why did we do that? You know, the hangar was in my backyard. We'd go out there and tinker with the airplane. I built an office out there. You know, people would just, what was cool is people would just fly in and they, they'd land and they'd, they'd pull up into our backyard and just, you know, come knock on the door. Hey, you know, uh, it was it's like, man, this, this is just as cool as it gets. So it's different when you're, when you're not there anymore. So you ever have that opportunity? It's, it's worth it. Really. It's, well, you, it was hard for me sitting in my family room overlooking the runway, Rob. We'd be having dinner. I'd be I'd be working, and I'd see uh, we have a, a re attorney who lives in and uh, works up here, and he has an RV. He's built a number of airplanes, but I'll see him on a Thursday afternoon, drive right right past the hangar, and five minutes later, there he is, off in ground effect, getting ready to pitch up forty five degrees. And I just have these like extreme jealousy issues going. Oh man, what I'd give to come home from work right now and just go fly around for half an hour. And and we have another um, former Navy F fourteen pilot turned Southwest captain who who built an RV. 
And his goal is just to fly every single day, just for no other reason than to enjoy flying and get comfortable in his airplane and that sort of thing. So really cool for that, that aspect. But then of course, uh, as soon as I'm done with the podcast, I'm going out to take care of a gentleman in a citation. So we've got everything from challengers and falcons landing at this airport down to um, tail drivers. And, and tell me again how long that runway is? 5,200 feet. Oh, wow. Geez, that's sizable. Yeah. It, yeah, it's a great runway. And, and uh, it, it, like I said, it can serve every airplane. I believe that things like King Airs and Pilatus probably do best around here. Uh, they've got plenty of power down low and the ability to stop fast. But we, we put everything in here. Wow. Are you still uh, involved in, in uh, commercial real estate development? I sh- yep. And that's what my wife and I had planned to do. And, um, and we've had to slow down our efforts personally a little bit because the neighborhood takes so much of our time. But we have done that, both commercial and residential development. That was sort of our post-Navy um, plan for ourselves. And then I went uh, a little more than a year ago and got typed in the Gulfstream 450 and 550 just so I could fly something other than a Baron for the rest of my life. Wow. You, need, you need an RV8. You know? Yeah, I do need an RV8. <laughs> that's, that's, that's what I. That's what I fly. And now. there's there's plenty of room to take a nap in the back. Yeah, Chris yeah. naps, and I. I mean, you'd think someone would be more interested in RV8 than than napping, but that's Chris. You know, <laughs> but, but it works out well. Uh, this is this is just so fascinating. I'll tell you, Frank. It's, a, it's fun to to get to catch up with you and and learn about your career and where you've gone since. I, I'm curious if you're, uh, you know. Will you miss the Navy or is it kind of like, you know, I'll miss it, but it's definitely time to move on. What's your thoughts on that? You know, it's funny. Um, I, th- I think it's probably true for most people, especially ones in the military. Is I-, I think I'll miss the people most of all, and that's not a corny, cliched line. Um, I believe, and, and actually the sailors and Marines that serve on the Blue Angels are, are truly the best in the business. I have, a, I think, a soft spot for the, the men and women that are in normal squadrons who join the Navy for various reasons, but find themselves, we're all out there on an aircraft carrier together. We're all in it together. As I've often told people, you know, you might be, I might be their boss or vice versa, but everybody works for somebody, you know, there's no one's at the top of the food chain, no matter who you are. So um, you, you kind of, you're all in it together. And uh, I, I thought I had actually flown my last flight back in 2013 and my fleet squadron out in Moore, California. And I was sad to see the airplane go, but I think I was most sad about it people yeah. um, i have had uh, a love affair with only one airplane in my life it was my sixth jet that i flew my very first time on the blue angels it was when i was number seven i had flown all of our you know 10 or 11 f-18s but there was one that flew better than all the rest it just so happened it was the boss's airplane so that's not by mistake that it works that way and i just loved it so i i every single day with my maintenance department whether i was buttering them up with compliments or buying them cocktails at the bar i, I was working that airplane for my next year and uh, one thing led to another, and I was able to fly from a whole year, and probably 500 sorties flown, maybe 495 were in that jet, and I just love the thing. And I had, a, and that, I flew its last flight before I went to the boneyard, so I had, I had a hard time saying goodbye to that airplane. Uh, uh, but that was it. The rest of them, you know, come and go. I feel like, but that one in particular, I was especially fond of. Um, I have a picture of my wife and I with the tail number that, or the you know number there, and it's kind of the two loves of my life, all, all in one picture. But. Yeah. Um, I also, a close friend of mine that I, I gave a VIP ride to made a film called about the Van Nuys airport called one six, right? And yeah. It's a great that, yeah. yeah. And, and that uh, Brian's a close friend of ours and his, and his work is just in my opinion. Terwilliger, is that his name? Brian Terwilliger. Yep. Yeah. That's and a one great of my favorite lines in his movie in one six, right? Is there's a gentleman in his hangar talking about his logbook and, and he wrote in his logbook. Um, this is a love story. And it's just the coolest dang line. And it talks, it speaks to aviation and how, you know, at this point, my wife would be grabbing photo albums and I'd be grabbing my logbook as we ran out of the burning house kind of thing, just because it's what you wouldn't want to forget. It, it tells the story of your life. And, yeah. Um, that's a fact. 
that's why I keep a paper logbook to this day. I don't, I don't do the digital logbooks. It's, to me, it's right. like a diary. You know, sometimes there's nothing to write in there, but a lot of times I'll, I'll especially my general aviation stuff, um, I'll write in there, you know, little blurbs and excerpts and, and things. And I'll go back and I'm like, oh yeah, I guess I've forgotten all about that. That's it's a, it's a long, you know, and when you write it, there's personality with it. You don't get that with, uh, with the digital stuff. Exactly. So, so well, I was going to say so, because I was going to change gears a little bit. So speaking of movies, have you ever been involved in a movie? <laughs> yeah. oh, uh, this, you, you know, oddly enough, I was about two years ago. <laughs> Uh, so I remember as a transition officer for the Blue Angel Super Hornet transition, and we got a phone call in our transition office about some challenges they were having with some low altitude scenes. This is Paramount and the making of Top Gun 2. And as I understand it, the director and, and main actor were, and producer were trying to figure out how to get a F-18 at an incredible low level altitudes um, ingressing for you know a seeming bombing run kind of thing. And and the Navy had limits. Generally, our limits are 200 feet been out for not for landing of course but for um, normal low level flying and that's waverable down to 100 feet but they were looking for the 10 to 20 foot range and so the head of our of our aviation said you know it's not possible so let's move on and after some back and forth as i understand it they came and said well could we find a blue angel to do it and of course you can we have at least number five flies at high speed low altitude every single day but that the current team there was quite busy with their normal show season and they couldn't devote seven weeks of flying in San Diego and, and Nevada and that sort of thing. So the call came to me. I had plenty of experience doing so. And, and so what I liked about it from the Navy's perspective was it, they really wanted um, a lot of Navy pilots flying in that movie. They, well, Paramount for sure wanted it to be done properly, not CGI, but all legitimate in the airplane filming. And the Navy looked and said, we want to use our junior officers. We don't want to have a bunch of Navy commanders and captains doing this. Um, and so to the degree they could, they, they did do that. And they found the experts in every field. So if it was stuff off the aircraft carrier, they used the carrier instructors from our training squadrons. If it was dogfighting, they used our Top Gun instructors from Top Gun. And then when it came to these few random scenes through, um, you know, canyons or at low, low altitude over the desert or in upside down um, filming, that was sort of my forte from having done it for so long in the Blue Angels. So I came in to do those sorts of things. So the scenes I was involved with were flyovers for, the funeral and then for um, a low takeoff over the ground um, that kind of rips the top off the building and it, essentially the low altitude stuff was uh, was my contributions to the film. This is going to be, it'll be exciting. Yeah. I will say that um, the, the filming is, is outrageous. I flew it, they were, it was just like Blue Angel Air shows. It was challenging. There was uh, slim margins. We spent a lot of time briefing and debriefing. And then to come back and see the film afterwards was remarkable. Uh, and there was talk even then of having kind of a an extreme version because you could almost make yourself sick just watching the film of what you had just flown. When is it? And that's a testament to the cameras. When is it due out? I believe this Thanksgiving, but okay. we, it's been unfortunately slid a few times due to to COVID. I'm I'm somewhat optimistic, cautiously so that it'll be one of the movies that brings America back to the theaters. Yeah, I hope so too. And I was talking, my daughter and I were talking about it driving back from Oshkosh the other day. And she's like, Dad, I've never seen the first Top Gun. And I'm like, well, what kind of dad am I? Aviation. So I, I told her, I said, I think we've got the DVD. I said, I said we're going to watch it because I cannot believe that I have not shown. I've shown her all the other classics, you know, from my youth. But she's never seen that one. So uh, we got to spend some time doing that here over the next few I've days. I've never believed your story that you were a body double in the in the, uh, in the the volleyball scene. I, oh, yeah, yeah. I don't, yeah. I don't believe that story. Me and Val Kilmer, man. <laughs> 
you know, I think well, that I was grateful. It was one of the first things that, you know, even though my family had grown up with Blue Angel Airshow, it was the first times that they were actually impressed by dad or by my wife's case, by her husband. <laughs> you know, she could, she literally had watched hundreds of Blue Angel Airshows and I'd flown off aircraft years for multiple, you know, two plus years of my life. And that didn't seem to impress her, but, but, you know, seeing the, the trailer and knowing that it's me in there, seeing the back of my neck was enough to um, make them pleased that I was actually working for my pay. Yeah, that's yeah. this is going to be fantastic. Uh, I mean, I'm as excited about the movie anyway. Yeah, but now this is just another reason. That's fantastic. For yeah, anything that could bring it bring uh, people into aviation and give them a new experience, I think that's awesome. So, well, Frank, I man, I'll tell you what, I think we could go on and yeah. on and on, and and I so much appreciate uh, the time that you've spent here. But we want to honor our commitment to keeping this uh, at the uh, you know the time that we we told you. And, um, you know, maybe, maybe someday, uh, you keep the door open and we can do it again. Yeah. Let's do round two. Maybe after the movie comes out or once everything's, uh, kind of put to bed. Oh yeah. That'd be we, great. You we know, need to get down there and see, I was going to see landing that that's gosh, that would be fantastic. That'd be a, you know, uh, last summer and we're going to do it again next summer. We rented a house on uh, Lake Hartwell. Um, and that's our chosen lake. We spend most weekends there. Uh, it's about 45 minutes. So if you come into Hartwell, I'll grab you in the bear and bring you back. You talk to okay. Cause we fly in there. So we fly into Anderson's usually what we do. So that's what we're going to do again. Um, that's, that is about six minutes by air. Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, I, I we got to get together, have a beer or something. Let's do it. Um, sounds terrific. Awesome. Thanks so much, Frank. And great catching up with you. And, uh, Likewise. Appreciate you. Have a good yeah. week. Great talking to you guys. All right. You too. Thank you. All right, see ya. Thanks for listening to the Wild Blue Podcast. Find us online at flywildblue.com. And don't forget to subscribe and share.